We are uh, talking about biblical principles for financial success. Uh, We're looking uh, a lot into what Solomon, who was the richest man to ever live, even to this day, would be the richest man to ever live. Uh, So he had some pretty good uh, financial principles, and we're looking at at those. Uh, Throwing a little Dave Ramsey in on the side, and uh, even a little Mike Benson along the way. So hopefully you are are learning uh, a little bit. Uh, Let's start tonight with uh, a little review, uh, because that's how we learn, is by repetition. Uh, You you don't get it all the first time. You can't comprehend it all, can't remember it all, can't get it all, can't learn it all the first time. Did you learn the alphabet the first time you heard it? You did? No, I didn't think so. Uh, How did you learn to add and subtract? Going over and over and over, right? Okay, all right. So uh, we're studying, as I already said, uh, seven, actually, seven secrets of Solomon uh, for financial success. And uh, we've already talked about three of them, and we've got brand new gentlemen with us tonight, so we'll, it's good that we're going over this because he'll hear it for the first time, so... But the first secret uh, to financial success, according to Solomon, is to develop a plan. Develop a plan. Uh, You know, to get to any destination demands a plan. If I wanted to go to the mall, which is highly unlikely, but if I wanted to go to the mall, I'd have to have a plan, a plan of action, plan a route to get me from where I am uh, to, to the mall, right? I would need a plan. I would need a route. Uh, same is true in finances. If I want to get from where I am, no matter where that is, maybe, maybe you're here and you're struggling in the area of finances. You might be here and you may be drowning in, 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 in the sea of, uh, of debt and really in trouble financially, or you might just be doing okay, or maybe you're doing really, really well, but you want to do better. Whatever the case is, uh, I'll not get to where I want to be unless I develop a plan. Um, If I want to succeed in the area of finances, I must plan how that will happen. It's not going to happen just because I want it to happen. Because I want to have my finances in order. Just because I want to be successful in the area of finances. Just because I want it, that in and of itself, that might be a good starting point, but it's not going to happen just because I want it to happen. Uh, it's not going to happen just because uh, I have a good job and I, and I have a good salary. Well, that's nice, and, and boy, that will really, really help, but that in and of itself will not guarantee that your finances are in order. In fact, we... We, we found out last Wednesday night that 70%, 7 out of every 10 Americans live paycheck to paycheck. And even though 70% uh, of Americans live from paycheck to che- paycheck, most of them have, have a decent job. Uh, many of them have a good job. Some of them have a great job. But most of them have at least a good enough job to earn a livable salary. And yet... And yet they spend all that they get or more than they receive. Uh, we're told that the average American today owes eight to $10,000 on credit cards. 
uh, for hamburgers they've already eaten and clothes they've already worn out and movies they've already seen. See, without a financial plan, it won't matter how much I make. Without a financial plan, it won't matter how much money that you make. I can make a million dollars in my earning career and end up broke. And most people will. They'll do both of those things. Both of those things. Most people will make a million dollars in their earning years and end up broke. You say, really? The average person, most people will earn a million dollars in their, in their earning years? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Did you know that if you only make $25,000 a year, that's not a lot of money these days, is it? Not very much money at all. If you only make $25,000 a year and you work for 40 years, which would be an average work person's work, right? If you started in the workforce at, at 22 and worked till you were 62, that'd be 40 years, right? Or if you started at 25 and worked till 65, that would be 40 years. So, so kind of an average uh, of working years would be 40, 40 years. Some will work 50, some will work less, some will, but, but, so, so just do the math. If you simply made $25,000 a year over a 40-year period, which most people will do that, that's a million dollars. Now, think about if you made $50,000, which is really more like the average American today that has a decent job, especially someone who has, has some kind of a career, $50,000. Some make a whole lot more, some make a little less, but 50000 is a median income today for, for, for an American uh, worker with a career. Uh, so, so if you made $50,000 over 40 years, that'd be $2 million. You've made $2 million. Let, let's think if you were if you were a six-figure income person, and that's not all, you know, used to, if you made $100,000, oh, you were rich. I mean, you were, wow, you were rolling in the dough, but there's a lot of people today that make six figures. Now, a lot of people don't in and of themselves, but with the husband and the wife both working, which most do today, you know, if he makes, you know, 50 or 60, she makes 30 or 40, or vice versa, he, she may make, you know, 60 or 70, he makes 30. I mean, that happens as well, but the two together, which is not uncommon at all today, for the for for the two together, to right? Are you with me? Am I? Am I? I'm not out in left field, am I? This it's it's not uncommon. It's not unusual for the two together to put those two incomes together and have a hundred thousand dollar six figure income. Well, let's say that together you earned a hundred thousand dollars a year over your working years of forty years. That'd be four million dollars. Together, husband and wife has made $4 million. Very realistic, very realistic to say that it would be easy for, uh, for a couple over their lifespan or their working years uh, to make combined, hey, let's say $2 million anyway, easy, $2 million, $3 million over a working, uh, working career without a financial plan. They will ask themselves, where did all my money go? With a financial plan, they can tell their money where to go.
And that's what I want you to be able to do. I want you to be able to tell your money where to go instead of wondering where in the world did your money, where it went. A plan gives directions to our money. Gives directions to our money. So you need to be telling your money. Instead of wondering where your money went, you need to be telling your money where to go. And you do that with a plan. You do that with a budget. All right? In lesson one, I gave you two plans. uh, One for financial success, one for getting out of debt. All right, the second secret we talked about, that was take personal responsibility for your financial success. Take personal responsibility for your financial success. See, no one is going to make you successful or make you a failure financially. No one is going to do that but you. Don't play the blame game. Take personal responsibility for your finances. And stop making stupid financial decisions and start making smart financial decisions. And if you'll stop making stupid financial decisions and start making smart financial decisions, you'll see a drastic turnaround in the financial area of your life. And let me tell you this, and I'm a little bit over the top on this, and it's on purpose, all right? The decision to do nothing about a financial plan is a stupid decision. I'm not trying to be politically correct. I'm not trying to be sweet, nice, and kind. I'm trying to be abrupt. I am being abrupt. I told you I'd like to make somebody mad. I'd like to make somebody so mad they'll do something. I'm going to say it again. The decision to do nothing about a financial plan is a stupid decision. The decision to keep doing things the same old way when you are struggling financially is a stupid decision. Was I clear? Okay. I've said it every week, but I'm going to say it one more time. You are deciding today what your tomorrow is going to look like financially. Right here in this class, right here, right now, with the information that you are receiving, you are deciding today what your tomorrow is going to look like financially. With what you do with the material, with what you do with the the principles, with what you do with the practical uh, applications, what you do with it or don't do with it, you are making the decision right now. Whether you let it go in one ear and out the other, or whether you do something about the information you receive. And if you don't like the way today looks for you financially, I'm afraid to tell you that tomorrow will look the very same or even worse unless you take personal responsibility for your finances and make the necessary changes that need to be made. Number three, we talked about this last Wednesday night. Solomon's third secret to financial success is don't be naive. Don't be naive. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Don't forget the four characteristics that we gave you last Wednesday night of naive people. Number one, they're immature. Naive people are immature. Only naive, immature people believe that you can get something for nothing. Only immature people believe that that they can have a major turnaround in their financial condition with only minor changes and effort on their part. That's naive. 
You can turn things around, but it's going to require a plan. And it's going to require changes. And it's going to require adjustments in lifestyle. But it's temporary. Say temporary. Dave Ramsey says live like no one else so that later you can live like no one else. I say drastic situations demand drastic uh, changes and, and we've got to do th- drastic things. So, so you can turn things around, but it's going to require a plan. It's going to, take, it's going to require changes and adjustments in lifestyle. It's going, to, it's going to require time. It's going to require persistence. You can't do it one day and not do it the other. You can't do it one week and, not, and then stop. You can't do it one week and not do it the other. You've got you to be You have to be persistent. Four characteristics of naive people. Number one, they're immature. Number two, they're impulsive. They're impulsive. Naive people are the first to buy in. They're first to drink the Kool-Aid. They they, um, allow their feelings and their desires to navigate them. Let me tell you that if you allow your feelings uh, and your desires to navigate you financially, you're going to be in trouble. Because you're always going to want something. That's the reason why I don't go shopping. I don't go shopping. Because I'm going to find out that I wanted something I didn't know I wanted. If I don't go shopping, I don't know I want it. But when I go and I see something, I'm going to want something. I'm going to buy something that maybe that I didn't need or I didn't even know I wanted. Okay? Um... If you allow your feelings and desires to navigate you, you're, you're, you're impulsive, you're naive, you're immature. Um, uh, naive people live, uh, their, their uh, motto is, if it feels good, do it. Uh, live for today. Uh, tomorrow, let it worry about itself. The third uh, characteristic of naive people are they're impatient. Uh, I want it all, I want it all, and I want it. I want what mom and dad have, but they're in their late 40s or, 50s or early 50s or even early 60s, and they did without a lot while they were raising their family, and they're reaping 25, 30, 35 years of earning, saving, and investing. And at 25, I want what they have. I want to start out. You know, that's the reason why you know, they go out and get a new car. They go out and get a new house. They go out and all these kinds of things, get themselves head over heels in debt. Number five, or number four, they're impressionable. They don't think for themselves, but instead believe what everyone around them are saying. All right. Hey, I've I've been talking about, uh, a little bit in the last few lessons, about a pastor I told you about who who I read about a few years ago who never made more than $12,000 a year. That's not very much money, is it? Never made more than $12,000 a year and retired a millionaire. Here's the reason I'm telling you about it. See, it's not how much you save and invest. It's how long and where you invest. Those others are important, but most of all, it's it's, it's, it's how long and where. I found this story several years ago in Ron Blue's book, Master Your Money. Uh, today, I, I, I looked for this book. I hadn't seen it in a while. I looked in my bookshelf and found it because I, I wanted to look it up, and I wanted to read it to you just so that, that you would know that I'm not just 
and you wouldn't think I was anyway, but I just, it's just more impressive when I show you the book, and it's documented, and it's in this book, so you know this is a true story. Now, I was off. I was off just a little bit about the, the amount that this man made. I said 12000 It was really 112000 No, I'm not. No, I'm kidding. I was off on the amount. I said he never made more than $12,000 a year, and yet he'd retired with over a million dollars. Actually, he never made more than $8,000 a year, and yet retired a millionaire. Let me read you the story. Master Your Money by uh, Ron Blue. I'm reading from page 13. It says, in the, in the world's most affluent society in all of history, very, very few individuals ever achieve a position of being able to live off of the resources they have accumulated. The vast majority are dependent on government, relatives, charity, or they must continue to work in order to have enough income to meet their needs. And yet there are exceptions. And I have had the privilege of meeting and working with many people who are better prepared for their future. One of the dramatic exceptions, I would say that is an understatement, is that of a retired pastor who never earned more than $8,000 in one year. I met this humble man because he wanted to know if he had enough financial resources to live out the rest of his life. At the time of his question, he was 80 years old. He had been retired for 20 years, so he retired at 60. That's my age. And his wife had just been put under full-time nursing care. His question, therefore, was a justifiable one. As I generally do, I began to ask some questions myself before giving advice. First, I asked him if he had any debts. I love this. His response was no. And he went on to say he had never borrowed any money. I said, why not? I love his answer. He said, because if he borrowed money... He would have to pay it back someday. <laughs> Obviously, some people don't understand that. He said if he, if he borrowed money, he would have to pay it back someday, and he couldn't afford to pay off debt, feed his family, and tithe. I guess not at $8,000 a year. My second question was to ask what resources he presently had. He indicated that in his wife's name, he had approximately $250,000 in cash, money market funds, and certificates of deposit. Additionally, in his name, he had another $350,000 in cash and cash-type investments. <laughs> Needless to say, I was impressed. Over six hundred thousand dollars in cash accumulated by a couple who never earned more than eight thousand dollars per year one thing bothered me though he had not yet mentioned any stock investments and yet in looking at his tax returns i noticed a substantial amount of dividend income he received that at retirement he had i know he revealed that at retirement he had which would be 20 years prior he had invested approximately $10,000 in the stock of a new company. And at the present time, the market value of his stock in that company was 
thousand dollars. Wow, he writes, one million six hundred sixty-three thousand dollars of cash and stock, and they had never earned more than eight thousand dollars per year. He writes, this couple was unusual, but many of the couples whom my firm works with are headed in the same direction. They practice some very basic biblical principles that work regardless of the economy or economic environment. Incidentally, my advice to this man, I love this, incidentally, my advice to this man was not to seek advice from anyone, including myself, as we might mess him up. I said I would be better off listening to him. Wow. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? See, you don't have to make a lot of money to end up with a lot of money. You don't have to make a lot of money to end up with a lot of money. Sadly, most people who make a lot of money won't end up with a lot of money because they spend everything they make or even more than they make. The secret to ending up with a lot is simple. It's very, very simple. It's not rocket science. Spend less than you make. And then take the money that you do not spend and save and invest over a long period of time in good investments. That's it. That's all that it takes. That's all it takes in order to to be wealthy eventually. All it takes is to spend less than you make, take the money that you haven't spent and save it and invest it wisely and over the long period of time and compound it over years, over years, it will grow and grow and grow and grow. And the younger you are, and the, the younger you are, because that's the way compounding works, the younger that you are, the less you have to do. But you have to do it over a longer, you have to do it consistently. And there's some young people in here, and you are young enough. There's not, in fact, uh, there's not a reason why anyone in this room couldn't retire wealthy. Most of you are young enough, it won't take a lot. Some of you will take a little bit more. But there's no, and I'm not trying to get you rich other than, but why, why are we doing all this? Financial freedom, right? Financial freedom. So we can do more for the kingdom, do more for our family. We can live stress-free. Amen? All right, let's look at the fourth secret of Solomon for financial success. That's our lesson tonight. Solomon, what is your fourth secret for financial success? His answer is ask the wise. Ask the wise. And we've talked a little bit about this, but I need to just really drive it home tonight. So, See, most people make one of two mistakes. They either don't listen to anyone or they listen to the wrong people. They either don't listen to anyone or they listen to the wrong people. Benjamin Franklin said... He that won't listen can't be helped. See, people ask me advice all the time, but they don't listen. There's an individual that has asked me several times for financial advice. I've spent hours with them, and yet they are financially upside down right now 
right now, they're financially upside down. And I, I spent hours with them. But guess what? They didn't listen. They didn't do anything with what I told them. And so they're in the same shape or worse than they were a few years ago when they first started asking me the question. Benjamin Franklin said, he that won't listen can't be helped. I wonder why God gave us two ears and one mouth. Maybe it's a clue that we're supposed to listen twice as much as we talk. You see, as long as I'm doing the talking, I'm not learning anything. Because I can't teach myself anything, right? I already know what I know, right? I know what I know. So I can't teach myself anything. So the only way I'm going to learn is if I listen. Listen, read books, study, I understand, but okay. Ben Johnson said, he who is taught only by himself has a fool for a teacher. Solomon said it this way, Proverbs 28 and 26, he who trusts in himself is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. See, nobody can know everything about everything. The fact is no, no one person can know everything there is to know about any one thing. It's impossible. Only a fool would think that he knows more about everything than anyone else. And yet, I know people, and you do too, that seem to think they are an expert on everything. It doesn't matter what the subject is, they are an expert. They've got an opinion, and they set themselves up as an expert. I have a minister friend, and... um, he found himself in jail. It's a long story. It's an incredible testimony. I had him come several years ago and give his testimony uh, here in the church, but it's been several years ago. But I won't go into his testimony. I just want to use the illustration. It's just hilarious. He found himself in jail. He found himself looking at the possibility of a 20-year sentence. He's in jail facing a possible 20-year sentence. His alcoholic brother came to see him in jail. And while he was visiting with him, a chaplain, a minister came to visit this man who was in jail. And he asked, is there anything I can do for you. Is there any way I can help you? And the man who was in, in jail facing a 20-year sentence, his brother looked at the minister and he said, we don't need any help. And this pastor looked at his brother and he said, I'm facing 20 years in prison and you're a drunk and we don't need any help? amazing. It's amazing how people who have their life in such incredible shambles in certain areas, and yet we don't need any help. Most people make one of two mistakes. They either don't listen to anyone or they listen to the wrong people. I've already said it. Most people have an opinion on just about every subject. And we Americans, we have our opinions and we love to share them. 
We set ourselves up as experts and we dispense opinions like we know what we're talking about. For instance, you know, we've never coached even one down of football, and yet we criticize the professional coach who's been coaching football for 30 years. And we sit in our recliner on Sunday afternoon, and, uh, and, and, and we yell at the TV, and we throw, take our shoe off and throw it at the TV and yell at the coach and tell the coach who has won a Super Bowl before And we tell him how stupid he is for the call he just made. We've never coached it down. He's a professional coach. He's won a Super Bowl. But we act like we know more than he does. And I said we. I didn't say you. We've never walked in our neighbor's shoes even one step. And yet we say to others how dumb he is or how dumb she is for what they're doing. We don't have a clue about their situation, but we set ourselves up as some kind of expert in their life. We love to give our opinions, even if we have zero experience in the particular area where we're spouting our opinion about. Every Sunday people criticize the pastor, and yet they've never pastored a church. We love to give our opinions, even if we have zero experience in that particular area. Here's what's worse. We listen to people and take the advice of people who have absolutely no experience or expertise in the particular area that they are giving us advice in. We've got a nurse sitting here. How many people will take mama's home, grandma's home remedy over the doctor. They'll listen to, you know, to grandma's home remedy. That turns out to be an old wives' tale over the advice of the medical doctor that went to school for 2,700 years. All right, which is it, pastor? Should we listen or should we not listen? Both. Both. We should listen, but only to those who know what they are talking about. We should listen, but only to those who have some knowledge in the particular area that we need counsel in. We should listen, but only to those who have a proven track record. Don't go to a marriage counselor for help with your marriage if that counselor is on their fourth marriage. They might know about relationship theory, but they have failed in the practical application of their own advice. Don't take financial advice from somebody who is broke. They can't even follow their own advice. They can't even handle their own money, and they want me to listen to them. What is Solomon's fourth secret to financial success? Ask the wise. Seek wisdom and counsel from people who have wisdom and wisdom in the area that you need the advice in. Proverbs 13 and 20 says, he who walks with the wise will grow wise. He who walks with the wise will grow wise. But a companion of fools suffer harm. If you want to be wise, hang around some people that's got some wisdom. Remember, just because someone has wisdom in one area, that doesn't mean that person has wisdom in all areas. You might go to Tom 
uh, for counsel about your marriage but have to go to Bill for counsel in financial matters. And just because somebody has a degree in an area, that in in and of itself doesn't mean they are successful in that area. Make sure someone has a proven track record over time before taking their advice. And another thing you need to consider is motive. Motive. What is the motive behind their advice? We have a realtor here. Let me pick on him. I picked on the nurse. Let me pick on the realtor. You know? Okay? Now, he's going to do right. He's going to do the right thing. But there are realtors out there, and he'll tell you there are, because people are people. But there's realtors out there that even though they know that you're going to like this house better than this house, they're not going to show you this house because they get more commission on this house. There are financial planners out there that, that, that this is the best route to take you down, but they're not going to take you down this route because they don't get as much commission down this route. They're going to tell you to go down this route. That makes sense. Am I, is that correct? Okay. So, so consider motive. What is the motive? What is the motive behind the advice that I am receiving? Uh, are they telling me to do this? Uh, so, uh, because they get a commission off of the thing that they're selling or promoting. And, and now listen, everyone has a right to profit from their knowledge and expertise. I, I'm not pastoring the grace place for free. Okay? I receive a salary. Okay? I'm paid a salary for being pastor of this church. The banker gets a salary. The engineer gets a salary. The nurse gets a salary. The, the, the school teacher gets a salary. It's okay to profit from our expertise and knowledge. That's just logical. It's the way it, it works. But in some instances... People can take advantage. They can steer us a certain way because there's more profit for them if we go a certain way. It's not necessarily best for us. It's best for them. So consider the motive behind the advice or counsel that's being given. All right, ask yourself these questions. We'll go through these very quickly. Ask yourself these questions. Number one, am I listening to the right people's opinions? Am I listening to the right people's opinions? Now, be kind to everybody. Be nice to everybody. And, you know, let people tell you whatever they want to tell you. But, but you make the decision whether you're listening to them or not. And you, you know. Um, number two, ask yourself, what, what do these advisors get out of this? What do they get out of this? Third question, is this investment more beneficial for my advisor or for me? Is this a good decision for them or a good decision for me? Is this beneficial for them or beneficial for me? Hopefully it's beneficial for both. All right, number four, this is, this is big right here, okay? So I'm going to take just a moment on it. What is driving my decisions? Ask yourself, what is driving my decisions? decisions is it influence and that's a biggie and a lot of people they base their decisions on influence is it influence is it influence someone who has influence in my life is that what's driving my decision well you know he's my daddy and father knows best 
well, your daddy probably is pretty smart, and, he, and, and I guarantee you, your daddy has some wisdom. He's not all-knowing, and he's not all-wise. He has some wisdom. And you need to dis- and, you know, find out where he is wise and where he is unwise. You don't need to share with him where he's unwise, but you need to be observant and know where he's wise and where he's not wise. And where he's not wise and where he's wise is what's working in his life. And where he's unwise is what's not working in his life. And he's still your daddy, and you should honor your daddy. But just because he's your daddy doesn't mean he's got the right answer. It just means he's got the right. If, he has a good, if he's been a good daddy, he has the right to speak into your life. But you still have the right to accept or reject his advice, okay? So ask yourself, what is driving my decisions? Is it influence? You know, you know mama ought to know. Well, maybe mama ought to know, but does she know? She knows some things. She probably knows a lot of things, but she don't know everything, Okay? Now, she doesn't know she doesn't know everything, (laughs) but she doesn't. It's going to be you, your job to decide what mama knows and what mama doesn't know. Okay? I want to just tell you that, you know, your pastor knows some things, but he doesn't know everything. Your pastor has some wisdom, but he's not all wise. Okay? Ask yourself, what is driving my decisions? Is it influence? Is it fear? What if I lose what I invest? I will tell you that any investment is risky. Some are more risky than others, but you have to take, you know, no risk, no reward. You need to be wise. And when you make investments, especially in mutual funds, you know, you need to spread out on a, on a balanced thing where you have some risk. Maybe, you know, especially if you're young, you can take a, some of it, a third of it, and put it kind of a, you know, a more, you know in, in, in a little riskier, and then medium, and then very conservative. And the three together, the three together, and these are not three stocks. These are three pools of mutual funds that has thousands of stocks in them, okay? What is driving my decision? Is it fear? Is it greed? Is it greed? Well, I'm going to take big chances, hoping for a big reward. I'm going to put it all on number seven, and then I'm going to spin the wheel. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. Ask yourself, what is driving my decisions? Is it wisdom? And that's the correct answer. Is it wisdom? I've done my homework. I've checked out my advisor. I've thought through his advice. And it fits within my plan. Number five, fifth question you need to ask yourself, does my advisor have my best interest at heart? See, you need to teach yourself to distinguish between a sales pitch and good, solid, wise counsel and advice. We'll say that again because it bears repeating. Teach yourself to distinguish between a sales pitch and good, solid, wise counsel and advice. And never, ever, say never, say ever. Say never, ever. 
Never, ever bow to pressure. Somebody puts the pressure on, back off. All right, let's talk about one more thing tonight, and then we're done. Don't get too excited. We're going to talk about it for a while. Financial success has more to do with proper management of what we have than it does with how much we have. See, most people think their problem with money has to do with the amount. If I just had more money, more money would fix all my problems. But for most people, more money won't fix their problems. Because their problem is not the amount. Because other people do very well with the very same amount or less. So if other people do very well with that that amount or less, then the amount is not the problem. The problem is the management, or I should say the mismanagement of what they have. Haggai chapter 1, verse 5 and 6 says, Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You planted much, but you don't have, but you have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a bag with holes in it. Wow. You earn wages only to put them in a bag with holes in it. See, most people think that the answer to their financial problem is for more money to be put in the top of their money bag. They think their problem is the top of the money bag. If only there could be more money put in the money bag, then all of my problems would be over. But the problem is really not in the top of their money bag. The problem is in the bottom of their money bag. Because there's a hole in the bottom of the money bag. And so because there's a hole in the bottom of the money bag, it doesn't matter how much money you put in the top of the money bag. If there's a hole in the bottom of the money bag, what's going to happen? It's just going to go through, right? Let me ask you this, all right? Okay, this is third grade stuff, but I'm going to do it anyway. If $10,000 is placed in your bag with a hole in it, how much is going to fall out? $10,000. If $100,000 is put in your money bag with a hole in it, how much is going to fall out? $100,000. If $1 million is placed in that money bag with a hole in it, how much is going to fall out? million dollars. So here's the question. Is the problem the amount or the whole? Hmm? It's the whole. See, we think that the only way to get ahead financially is to get more income. But if we mismanage a little income, we're going to mismanage a big income. I've told you, I know people that make six-figure incomes and live paycheck to paycheck. I know, you know, yeah. I know people that have six-figure incomes that are over, that, that are drowning in a sea of debt. They make $100,000 a year and can't make it. Is the problem the top of the money bag or the bottom of the money bag? 
Is the problem with the income or with the mismanagement of the income? Now, there are people that have an income problem, okay? I'm, I'm, I know there are people that have an income problem, okay? But most people that think they have an income problem do not really have an income problem. They have a management problem. True, they can't live the way everybody else lives on, on, you know, on their little meager income, but they could make it if they managed it well. If they, if, if, first of all, if they got under the blessing, got out from under the curse, See, the problem is not with the income, but with the mismanagement of the income. We can become successful financially with the income that we have if we repair the hole that's in the money bag. We already proved that by reading this book, reading this example of this pastor who never made more than $8,000 a year and in his entire ministry, retired at 60, lived 20 years, and at 80 had a million six, six hundred something thousand dollars. <laughs> takes away all of our excuses. It just does. It just does. Now, some people have a small hole in their money bag, and some have a giant hole in their money bag. Solomon tells us what causes some of the holes in our money bag. Let me give you just a few. Very quickly, I'm going to run through these because I want to get to something else before we're done. Covering up sin in our life. What? Yeah. Covering up sin in our life will put a hole in our money bag. Where do you get that? Well, Proverbs 28 and 13 says, He who covers his sin will not prosper. Sin is expensive. I can elaborate there, but don't have time. Number two, ignoring the poor. What? What the Bible says. Proverbs 21 and 13, whoever shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard. See, some of the money God gives us is to be shared. It's to be shared. Number three, adultery. What? That's what the Bible says. Proverbs 5 and 10 says, For the adulterer, strangers will be filled with your wealth, and your labor will be enjoyed by somebody else. You know, because of adultery, there are, there are you know, there, there are people that are living in somebody else's house, enjoying somebody else's family, spending somebody else's money because of the results of adultery. Number four, overindulgence of pleasure. Proverbs 21 and 17 says, He who loves pleasure will be poor. Number five, refusing proper correction and admonition. Proverbs 13 and 18 says, Poverty and shame will come to him who disdains correction. Number six, co-signing a note. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 1 through 5 says, My child, if you have put up security for a friend's debt, or if you have agreed to guarantee or co-sign for a stranger, if you have trapped yourself by your agreement and are caught by what you said, follow my advice and save yourself. If you have placed yourself at your friend's mercy, Swallow your pride. Go and beg to have your name erased. Don't put it off. Do it now. Don't rest until you do. Save yourself like a gazelle escaping from a hunter, like a bird fleeing from a net. 
do not co-sign somebody else's debt. When you co-sign, that makes you a debtor. There are many, many reasons. If you want to lose a friend, co-sign a note. If you want to tear up your family, co-sign a family member's note. Just saying. Number seven, take advantage of people. Take advantage of people. If you want, if you want, a, if you want a hole in your money, money bag, we'll just start taking advantage of people. Proverbs 28 and 8 says, One who increases his possessions by overcharging and extortion gathers it for him who will pity the poor. I'll never forget several years ago, my, one of my brothers was in trouble financially, and he called me for a loan. He asked me to loan him some money. And he told me, he said, I'll pay you 20% interest. I said, dude, I wouldn't charge my worst enemy 20% interest, let alone my own brother. I will loan you the money and there will be no interest. You're my brother. Fast forward 25 years, he still owes me the money. But that's all right. It's all right. If you take advantage of people, you may gather a lot of money, but it's going to go right out. It's going to go out as fast as it comes in. If you're in business, be doing, do business fair. Do it right. God will honor it. Number eight, if you want to have a hole in your, guarantee a hole in your, in your money bag, the eighth thing you can do, not having a budget. Not having a budget. Proverbs 24, th- 3 through 4 says, any, inter- any enterprise is built by wise planning. So ask yourself, do I have a hole in my money bag? What is it that's draining my finances? Is your life's vision statement going broke one Starbucks latte at a time? Or going broke one $500 a month car payment at a time? Let me ask you, do you have an income problem or do you have an outgo problem? One man said that his problem was his outgoing income. (laughs) I've challenged you every week. Let me challenge you again to keep track of every single dime that you spend between tonight and next Wednesday night because you have money that you don't even know you have. It's, you're, just, you're just flittering it away here, flittering it away here. It's $5 here, $10 there, $20 there, $30 there, 50 bucks here. And it's not always the big things that trip us up. Oftentimes, it's just one too many of the little things or little things too many times because little things add up. They add up. It's amazing how they add up. If we just cut out a few of the little things. We saved and invested that money over time in a great investment just in that and of itself, we could be wealthy. All right. Did you know that Jesus spoke more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined? Jesus spoke more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined. Did you know that money affects every area of our life? It affects every area of our life. It affects our marriage, right? Number one problem in marriage is financial issues. Over half of the people divorced say they divorced because of money. One because they grew old and fat and ugly. One because they had an affair. 
One because, uh, you know, incompatibility is because of money, money issues, stress. Money affects every area of our life. Now, people don't like it when preachers preach on tithing. They don't like it. They get mad. They get angry. They leave the church. They call preachers money hungry. So let me really make somebody mad here tonight. Okay? The truth of the matter is, not only is 10% of our money God's, 100% of our money is God's. And we're going to give an account someday, not of whether or not we paid our tithe, and we are, but we're going to give an account for every dime we spent. We are going to give an account to God for every dime we spent. We're going to give an account to God for what we did with 100% of our money. Not, not, did you give me the 10%? Yeah, he's going to ask that. But he's going to ask you, what did you do with what I gave you? I want to read a very familiar story. It's a parable that Jesus told. It's so incredible. It has so many incredible things we can learn. And I'm saying this not to make you mad. I, I'm saying this to try and help you. And you're in this class tonight to, to learn and, and to be helped, hopefully. Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, he said, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. And this man called together his servants and he entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one and two bags of silver to another and one bag of silver to the last dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And then he left on his trip. The servant that received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done. Oh, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this little small amount, and so now I give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and, and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I've earned two more. The master said, Well done. Oh, my good and faithful servant, you, you have been faithful in handling this small amount, so, so now I will give you more, many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, 
take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. How many believe that Jesus had a purpose for telling this story? I believe that Jesus gave this story twofold. I believe that he, he gave it to us for our everyday lives in the here and now, but also so we understand about eternity and how important it is. I believe that this master represents the Lord. And I believe that the servants represent you and I. And that God has given every one of us gifts, talents, and abilities. In this story, it's talked about talents. The word talent is, is a word used for a measure of money, bags of money. But let me just really quickly just throw some things at you and then we're done. But listen very, very carefully. These are not in your notes. I did this today, just wrote, wrote these things down. So, But number one, God gives us what he knows we can handle. God gives us not what he knows we can handle. He, he gives us what he knows he can trust us with. Verse 15 said that he divided it in proportion to their abilities. He gave one five bags of money, one two bags of money, and one one bag of money. But he divided it according unto their ability. God gives us what he knows we can handle. Number two, two servants respected what their master had entrusted them. The one with the five talent, or the one with the five bags of silver, the one with the two bags of silver, they respected what their master had entrusted to them. They understood who the money truly belonged to. Verse 19, it says, he called them to give an account of how they had used his money. His money. See, that's what we need to understand. It's not your money. It's not your money. It's your master's money. And he's entrusted to you his money. And you're going to have to give an account of what you did with his money. That puts it in a whole different perspective, doesn't it? Number three, one servant, the one with the, that received the one bag of silver, didn't respect and didn't appreciate what had been given. I don't know. Maybe he looked at the one with the five and the one with the two, you know, and said, well, this ain't fair, and wah, 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 and, you know. Or all I get is one. But he didn't understand that the master knew. He gave it to them based on their ability. And when he saw, and when you see what he did with it, or what he didn't do with it, you understand why he was only given one bag of money, right? 
And sometimes we gripe and we complain and we fuss because somebody has more than us. Well, maybe the reason why they have more than us is because God knows we can't handle it. We haven't proven we can. In fact, our whining and our complaining and our mismanagement of it proves the fact. Is this kind of hard or is this just the truth? Is it the truth? How many know that we don't take care of what we don't respect? We don't take care of what we don't appreciate. And this man did not respect what he had been given, the one bag of silver. He didn't appreciate the one bag of silver that he had been given. He proved it by hiding it in the dirt, doing nothing with it. Number four, the fourth thing I want us to know about this story is that the amount is not important. The amount is not important. How do I know that? Because the same commendation uh, was given to the one that received two bags and doubled his money, his master's money, as to the one that received the five bags and doubled his money. The same commendation was given, well done, good and faithful servant. So, with that reasoning, the one who received the one bag of money would have received the very same commendation as, commendation as the other two if he had been faithful with the one. Number five, fifth thing I want you to notice in this parable. They were, they were rewarded according to their faithfulness. Verse 21, you were faithful with what I initially gave you. That's what he said when he brought them in there. And they told him what they did with what they received. He said, you were faithful with what I gave you, so now I know I can trust you with more. If you want more, if you want more money, if you want more things, if you want more, let me tell you the way to get more. First of all, let me tell you the way not to get more. Don't appreciate what you have. If you don't appreciate what you have, if you don't respect what you already have, you're not going to have any more. And if you're not faithful with what you already have, God is not going to entrust you with more. But if you'll be faithful with what you already have, whether that be little or quite a bit or a whole lot, if you'll be faithful with what you already have and what God's already given you, then he can trust you with more and he will reward you with more. See, I, and I'm not tooting my own horn, but I believe with all my heart the reason why God has entrusted me now with probably uh, maybe as many as 700, 650 or 700 people that call this their, 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 their home church. God can trust me with them. Why? Because when I had 13, when I started out as a 17-year-old pastor, I loved them and I took care of them. And I was faithful to the 13. And because I was faithful with the 13, then God gave me 50. And when I was faithful with the 50, then God gave me 100. And when I was faithful with the 100, God gave me 200. And then 300 and 400 and 500 and 600. And who knows what God is going to do as my latter years are become greater than my former years. I'm not bragging. I'm telling you that it works. I'm telling you if you want more, be faithful with what you have. If you want more, appreciate what you have. 
Because if you don't appreciate and respect what you have, you will never have more. And if you're not faithful with what you already have, God will never give you more. But if you will appreciate and respect and be grateful and thankful for what you have, and if you'll do something with it, amen, and you'll be faithful with it, then God will honor you and he'll reward you and give you more. Number seven, was that six or seven? Number six, until we prove faith, I said it, I don't know if I said it up front, but I preached it. <laughs> until we prove faithful with what we have, God can't trust us with more. Number, the seventh thing I want you to notice in this, in this parable as we're about done, and that is God punishes those who mismanage what he gives them. Verses 24 through 30. The servant used every excuse in the book as to why he mismanaged his, his master's money. He even tried to throw the blame on his master. He called him a harsh and demanding taskmaster. And he said, I didn't do it because I was afraid of you. Afraid what you might do if I lost your money. Number eight, the last thing. We will give an account of how we manage the resources God placed in our hands. Verse 19, after a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. God has given us what we have. And one day, he's going to call us before him. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. And he's going to ask us, what did you do with what I gave you? The Bible says that we are merely stewards of God's property. A steward is a manager, a manager, a manager. What would happen if you were a manager of a company and you mismanaged the company's money? What would happen? The least that would happen would be you'd get fired. The most that might happen is you might be thrown in prison. I'm, I'm just telling you because it just is so, and I know I'm over the top, and I know I, whatever, but I want you to get the message. And I'm just, and I tell you quite a bit on Sunday even, I'm overwhelmed. I am overwhelmed with the fact that not only are we, you know, what we do with Jesus gets us into heaven or, or not, okay? And, and, and for most people, that's all they're concerned with. If I can just barely make it in. Just get it in by the hair of my chinny chin chin. Or they think if I just get to heaven, one size fits all. You know, everybody's the same. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It does. The Bible is abundantly clear. It's not one size fits all in heaven. It's not. We're going to be rewarded or lack of rewards based on, on our works. And part of our works is what we did with our money. Were we faithful or not? Did we manage? Is God's property? Did we mismanage God's property? Did we honor him with what he said we should honor him with? And then, you know, then, did, then were we wise with the rest? It's a sobering fact. 
and it's a reality. Father, thank you for the opportunity that we've had to be in this class tonight. Thank you for these that even though I've been really hard and rough, they just keep coming back. They got tough skin, I guess, tough hide. But God, I just pray, Lord, that you will help us, Father, not just to be a hearer of your word, but to be a a doer of your word, Father. God, I just pray, Lord, that we will get your word down on the inside of us, Father. God, I pray, Lord, that Lord, that we will all make changes. Some need to make drastic changes. Others of us need to just do little small tweaks in what we're doing. But help us, Father. Help us, Father, to take what we've learned, not just tonight, but, Lord, these last four Wednesday nights and the next four Wednesday nights as we continue Put these principles in into in, in our everyday lives, Lord, so that our lives can uh, uh, line up to your word and to your will and we can be blessed in every area. In Jesus' name, amen.